0: family, if there's anything at all broken in your life right now, you have come to the right place. The Spirit of God is in this place right now. Talk to Him about anything that's busted in your life right now. So many levels of desperate in our lives. We just thank you that you know them all and you're concerned with every one of them. Whether it's abandonment or just a minor issue, you're there. We praise you for that and glorify you because of that. I'm asking now, beginning with the one who speaks, that you'll remind us of that. You're with us constantly as we come broken to be healed from Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. From Matthew chapter 14 verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came he was there alone but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night Jesus went out to them walking on the lake When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, The Lord save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Isn't that a neat text? I love that scripture. In fact, that's one of my favorite scriptures. I bet it's some of you all's favorite scripture. It's also my bet that you're expecting me now to talk to you about walking on the water, right? Because when we read this text, we want to talk about walking on the water. It's not a normal activity, and it makes for real good preaching but not today. Not today. I had somebody asking me last week uh, uh, about what I want to talk to you about this morning, which is keyed in on verse 27 about courage. We need courage these days. We've been talking pretty heavy stuff here the last few weeks. We've been talking about the possibility of Christ coming back any minute, which he still could any minute before I'm done. That would be all right. We've been talking about how things are melting down around us and how there's problems everywhere we look. And I'm just telling you, we need courage these days. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to live like a Christian, if you're going to live Christian principles in the society we're living in right now, if you're going to put up with the persecution that's involved with that, if you're going to try to live your life under the instrument panel of the Word of God, you're going to need courage and lots of it. A couple of years ago, I read a book by Mark Atterbury called Free Refill. I highly recommend this book. And in this book, he was talking about some of the goofy things that Christians do these days. I also really loved what he did with the text. But he was talking about one website he saw where this guy said, claimed that Jesus, his presence is everywhere you look. And all you had to do was click here on the website to see what he means. And so you click on the website, and up pops this inkblot that's got a face on it, dark face, supposedly supposed to be Jesus. Looks more like Charles Manson. I've seen it before. And the idea is you look at it. And then you look at the light, and then you close your eyes, and you supposedly see the face of Jesus. Y'all seen that before? And then he tells a story about this woman who was frying an egg one Easter Sunday morning. She was going through some trials, like some of us are, and she's frying her egg, and there in one side of her egg was a perfect, flawless picture of Jesus in her egg. And she decided Jesus must be trying to tell her something. I mean, after all, his face is right there in the skillet. And evidently, what Jesus was trying to tell her was eBay. Because she took that fried egg and put it in the freezer and went online and auctioned it off. And 55,000 auction bids later, she sold it for $1,775. Makes you want to fry an egg, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, listen, I've seen a lot of those things over the years. Some of the things that Christians do and claim. and, And always reminds me of one of the famous quotes from Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein once said, there's only two things that are infinite. The universe and human stupidity. And I'm not real sure about the universe," he said. Now, Mark Atterbury wasn't near as harsh on that. This is what he said. He said, "Maybe these people aren't so much stupid as they are desperate. Maybe these people are in such a state of experience right now that they're trying to find the presence of Jesus anywhere in an ink blot in a fried egg, and they just don't know how. I, don't know, I think maybe he's right. I, I think he's right. But I do know this for sure, for a Christian. they get to a place where they feel abandoned, when they get to a place where they feel like they're out of touch with Jesus, that's terrifying. I mean, there's nothing worse for a Christian than that. In fact, David described this best in Psalm 22 when he wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you remain so distant from me? Why do you ignore my cries for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you don't answer. Every night you hear my voice but I find no relief. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. You've laid me in the dust and left me. That sounds like a desperate cry for help from me. And here's the deal. I want to ask, have you ever felt that way in the past, abandoned and alone, separated? Do you feel that way now? Because there's all all kinds of things that cause our faith to dry up on occasion and get us to a place where we cry out like that. You know, sometimes you've got something going on, you're praying about it, and nothing changes. Or, like right now, you're in a crisis, maybe, and you're praying until you're hoarse, and nothing's changing. Or, worse than that, you pray, and not only things don't seem to be getting better, they seem to be getting worse. When those times come, we cry out in desperation. We want to know where God's at. And when those times come, finding him in an ink inkblot or a fried egg doesn't sound so crazy, does it? Now, Jesus knew those days were coming. He said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. And he gave us several scriptures to remind us that we can have faith in him. And we can take courage because he's in charge of things. And this is one of them. I love this whole chapter. In the first part of this chapter, that's when uh, the Bible talks about the time Jesus is preaching in front of this large crowd. And all he had was... uh, Uh, five loaf, two fish, lunchable snack. And he said, would you all like me to supersize that? And he said, yes. And he fed over 5,000 people with it. And the crowd got so excited over that, they wanted to forcibly make him king on the spot. And that's probably why in verse 24, he told the disciples, get in the boat and get out of here. He didn't want them caught up in that ridiculous mess. So you go to a quiet place and pray, I'm going to do the same thing. And then, of course, they got in the boat and the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of a fearless crew, the minnow. I just want to make sure you're awake. Okay, you're awake. (laughs) Now, we've talked about this before. Uh, The Lake Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, also sometimes called Lake Gennesaret, is seven miles wide, which is pretty wide, and 15 miles long. But what makes it so treacherous is it's down in the valley, the mountains on either side of it, and storms can come up just like that. I mean, violent storms, 10-foot waves out of nowhere. And for even experienced fishermen like this, it can be a, a, a big deal. And the Bible says the disciples started this trip at nightfall, and they're still fighting it at the fourth watch of the night. That's 3 o'clock in the morning. These guys are wore out, man. And just about the time they are physically, emotionally, and mer- mentally drained, Jesus comes walking out on the water to them. Now, you got to remember back in Jesus' day, it was pretty well known that the evil spirits lived on the lake. And so they look up, and here he's coming. This has got to be per- uh, terrifying. You know, there's nothing more terrifying, I think, than to see an image and a glimpse of lightning. You've seen enough horror movies, enough suspense movies, the lightning lights up and you see the person over there and it goes dark. And then it lights up again and he's over here and it goes dark and then he lights up here and he's a little closer. This has got to be a Twilight Zone slash Alfred Hitchcock moment for these guys and they're terrifying. And again, my question is to you all, you, you ever get here? Maybe not in a boat seeing figures, but I mean, have you ever got to a place where you are just emotionally, spiritually, mentally wore out, and you're ready to throw in a towel? Me too. Me too, and that's why these words are so powerful from Jesus. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I'm here. In other words, I'm still here, and I still got this. You don't have anything to worry about, he says. Now, I love preaching sermons about Peter walking on the water. I love talking about Peter walking on water, but I'm just reminding you if you're here this morning and you're in a place where you feel abandoned and terrified and you don't know where to go and do next or you know somebody who's like that, then you talk about Peter walking on water some other time and you key in on verse 27 because these are the most powerful, important words of today. I'm still here. I still got this. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Now, there's some comforting words and there's some challenging words number one we're going to start with the comforting words Ken Mitchell and I my brother-in-law him and I were one time years ago we were fishing out on Yellowwood State Forest if you guys fish that lake okay so we're at the north end and we were jitterbugging for you older people we weren't dancing jitterbugging's a it's a it's a, a topwater lure you throw at night all night it goes across the top of the water and a bass just explodes. it's so much fun well the north end of the lake at Yellowwood's I don't know about five acres And it averages between 10 and 4 feet deep, but it's full of weed beds. And we had pulled into a weed bed about the size of the stage. And I mean so much weeds all the way to the surface that the boat was sitting on them. You know what I'm talking about. And we were throwing those jitterbugs out in the open water about 2 in the morning, not much light. And we were in a 10-foot john boat. And this has never happened before or since, but we both had a hit at the same time, and we rolled that 10-foot john boat over in that weed bed. We were terrified. I mean stuff everywhere. And you know my brother-in-law is not real agile. And I'm thinking, I don't know how in the world I'm going to get him out of here. I don't know what's around my legs. There's weeds and nasty. It's filthy dark. What do you think would have happened if we'd have looked up on the bank and seen somebody that we didn't even know saying, everything's okay. (laughs) I'm here. I got this. Think that had helped? How about this? About a year after Ken and Claudia got married, Claudia went into the hospital for routine surgery on her pancreas. Seven and a half hours later, the nurse came out and said, she might not make it. You better call the family. I mean, like in dying. How do you think it would have been if somebody had come out of the closet, the maintenance closet, with a plunger in one hand and a stogie in the other and said, don't worry about it, I got this, I'm here. You're probably thinking, well, it depends on the kind of stogie. So, Now, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is whether or not those words have any comfort in them depends on what of the mouth they're coming out of. If somebody tells you everything's okay, you don't have anything to worry about, but they don't have any power to change things around you, those are that's a joke. But if somebody can change things, I want to tell you Jesus Christ has proven himself well qualified to speak those words to us because he has power over the two things that cause us the most misery, the elements and the enemy. He can fully control the elements, Jesus is. We came, I came home one time, this had not been too long ago, and Angie was flipping through the channels. Angie doesn't watch TV, so when I come in, she's got something on. I'll say, are you watching this? And nah, I just got it on for noise. Well, she had the twister on. Remember that show, The Twister? And I, I sat and finished it because I loved that show. And if you haven't seen it, it's a good movie. It's about storm chasers. They're chasing tornadoes. And I got to thinking about that this week. That's about all we can do with storms these days is chase them around. We sure can't change them. You know, we, it seems to me like we can't even predict them these days. And I'm just telling you, it's good for us Christians to remember this in good times and in bad, especially bad, that no matter what the storm is, big storm, little storm. it's child's play for Jesus. A storm is child's play for. Listen, Jesus can start a storm anytime he wants to, Jonah chapter one. He can turn a storm on a dime, Job 37. He can stop a storm in its tracks. Luke chapter 8, which is one of my favorite stories. He's standing up in front of the boat, waves five or six feet high, hailing everywhere, wind blowing. He said, peace, be still, and immediately is calm. It didn't slow down. It went immediate calm. And they said to the boat, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey his command. So it's not just storms. He's in charge of the entire nature. Job chapter 9, verse 7 says, if he commands it, the sun won't rise. If he commands us, the stars won't shine, the wind won't blow, the rain won't fall, the fire won't burn, nor will the earthquake. I mean, Jesus has proven that he's in charge of everything. He can part the Red Sea, Exodus 14. He can cause water to come from a rock, Exodus 17. He can cause the sun to stand still, Joshua chapter 10. He can cause the fire not to burn people up, Daniel chapter 3. He's proven over and over and over again he's in full charge of the elements. And we don't have anything to worry about. And we need to remember that because we all know an element never forgets. you don't have to laugh. Just nod if you got it. You got it. Okay, good. Number two, we also know Jesus controls the enemy. I love this. I've always loved the story of the demon-possessed guy in Mark chapter 5 that come running down out of the hills, and he's screaming and hollering like a wild animal. The Bible says he came rammed right out of the tombs. He, he, he was running like one of those people right off the TV set of the Walking Dead TV series, which I've never even seen one of. And I was talking to the preacher group that I meet with every Thursday a couple weeks ago, and they said, you've never watched Walking Dead? I said, no, why not? And I said, are you kidding me? It's zombies. I don't do zombies. I do grandkids in a public restaurant. That's close enough. You know what I mean? I don't do zombies. But remember, remember this guy comes yelling and screaming and hollering down and scaring these guys to death. And we got to remember that's Satan's MO, man. That's what he's doing to all of us right now. Yelling, screaming. He's alive and active. Everybody knows it. That's how he hunts. He's a roaring lion. Remember, we said this before. A lion's roar is so powerful, you can hear it five miles away at night. And so when a lion roars, sometimes the prey paralyzes in fear. Easy pickings. Doesn't even have to chase them. And I'm just telling you, a Christian frozen in fear, it's easy pickings for the enemy. That's why we need to be courageous and we need to remember that before this fight even started, they're begging Jesus not to torment them. So before the fight even began, they're admitting defeat, these evil spirits. Before the fight even started, they're negotiating their terms of surrender, the enemy is powerless before Jesus. He's going to try to convince you he's not by getting in your face and running down out of the hills and screaming, but he is powerless before that. That's why Paul would later write, be strong in the Lord's mighty power, Ephesians 6. He knew we'd never be able to outrun, outmaneuver, or outfox the enemy, but he knew we'd never have to as long as we stood with Jesus Christ. And I know you all going through some storms. I'm looking around. I know some of the storms in here are pretty heavy. Some of them are element-driven. Your house did get hit by the tornado last year. It did get burned up. Your your car did break down. Your washing machine, you know, all those kinds of things. Those are element-driven storms, and they're they're tough. Some of our storms are enemy-driven. You've had a lustful opportunity, and nobody's around. You've had an opportunity to cheat. Nobody's looking. You've got this real juicy piece of gossip, and they've not even heard the story yet. I just want to remind you all, I'm reminding myself, that whether the storms we're in are element-driven or enemy-driven, you and I can take courage and do the right thing, because he's still here, and he's still got this, and everything's going to be okay. Secondly, uh, we have a challenge here. We need to notice here that Jesus did not say, hey, I want you to try real hard not to be afraid. No, he's commanding us, do not be afraid. Take courage. Take courage. Because he knows you and I will move towards the weak part, which is fear. I, I heard a Bob Russell sermon on fear, I don't know, 35 years ago. It was a great sermon. And, and I remember what he said, that you and I are only born with two innate fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. All the other things we're afraid of, we learn to be afraid of. And we all know these time at this time... This time <laughs> By the time we become adults, there's lots of things to be afraid of. And in fact, the word fear doesn't even cut anymore. Now we have the word phobia. And the last time I looked, there's 524 different phobias that have been classified. How about this one Hippo, Pado, Monstrous, Quip, De, leophobia. You know what that is? That's fear of long words. And if I wasn't a professional speaker, I'd been scared to death. You know? <laughs> Listen, when Jesus says, don't be afraid, he's challenging you and I to do something that goes against human nature. He's challenging you and I to remember to trust him no matter what's going on and to grow up in the storm. And sometimes he sends storms just for that to happen. He sent these guys out into the boat. The storms don't always come to you because you're sinning, doing the wrong things. These guys were doing exactly what they were told to do, and the storm still came. Warren Wiersbe said there's two types of storms. There's storms of correction and storms of perfection. And we need to remember that, especially these days, because sometimes these days we want to make sure nobody gets their feelings hurt. We don't want to be real careful, especially in church. You don't preach anything real harsh because we don't want anybody's feelings to get hurt. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm afraid sometimes the danger in that is we leave people with the impression that if they follow God, the life will be smooth. They'll never get pounded by anything. They'll never hear harsh words. And I think sometimes we unknowingly leave the impression on new Christians that if you have Jesus in your boat, there won't be any storms. Nothing will be farther from the truth. Matthew 5.45, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Remember that story, Jesus finishes up the Sermon on the Mount uh, about uh, two people that were building. One was wise and built on a good foundation, and the other one was a fool and built on the sand, and the storm came and hit them both. It hit them both. The difference was the foundation. One got swept away. And we need to remember to stay on the solid foundation because if things continue to get goofier and goofier and stranger and stranger and uglier and uglier, and I think they are. And if the persecution of Christianity continues to ramp up even in this country, and I think it will, you and I will do well to remember that being a good Christian is not going to exempt us from accidents, malignancies, tornadoes, divorce, bankruptcy, plagues, termites, the flu. But what it will do is give us the foundation to stand through the storm. These are veteran fishermen. They, they knew about the unpredictability of this Lake Gennesareth. But this storm still was so violent and so sudden, it shocked them. And that's the way life is, isn't it? That's how storms come. I had a real good friend of mine several years ago. He was preaching in a pretty good-sized church. And he was, I mean, he was at the pinnacle. He was, he said it's the best weekend in his ministry. And he came home that Sunday night on cloud nine, walked in the house, and his wife said to him, I'm sorry, I found somebody else and left the next morning. Devastated. That's how storms hit, man. We're we'll walking along, everything's normal. We wake up one morning and get a phone call from one of our kids. Devastating. And maybe it's something they did, maybe it's something somebody did to them. Doesn't make any difference. It's devastating. You call the doctor, it's a tumor. It's a cancer. Mom calls in the middle of the night. It's dad. She's crying. He's gone. You kidding me? These are nightmare things. And Jesus is saying, you take courage in these storms. I got it. I'm still here. And I think we also need to remember that we can't get overprotective. Sometimes you get through a storm like that, and, and we come to the other side, and we're not going to do that anymore. I'm never going to get on a plane again. That one went down last week. Not going to catch me putting my kid in a nursery. Somebody put their kid in a nursery in Avon last year. He had flu and died. I'm not going to snow ski. My brother-in-law went snow skiing and broke his leg. No, you never catch me on the lake at Gennesaret. Storm might come up. Listen to this. If you want to greatly increase your chance for a long life, you would be interested in the following. Number one, don't ever ride in an automobile or get in one. 20% of all fatal accidents happen in a car. Number two, don't stay at home. 17% of all accidents happen at home. Number three, don't walk around on the streets. 14% of all accidents happen to pedestrians. Number four, don't travel by air, rail, or water. 6% of all accidents are a result of this type of travel. Only 1 in 10,000th of 1% of all deaths occur at church. And that's normally by somebody already had a heart attack or something. So obviously, the safest place in all the world to be is at worship. Be on the safe side. Come to all church services. It might save your life and definitely your soul. <laughs> okay, listen. I, I'm going to get us down here to pray. But before I do, a couple things I want to I say. First of all, I want to tell you that I compromise, I give up. I give up. I've pounded you all for a year. Make sure you're at church every week. Shouldn't be anything keeping you from church. No volleyball, no camping, all that stuff. Listen, it ain't gonna work. Things have changed. Our society has changed. some of you come every week. I appreciate it. I really do. Some of you just can't. Got volleyball, you got baseball, you got swim meet, you got all those things. So I'm going to compromise with you. I'm not going to pound that anymore. I understand things have changed. What I am going to ask is, when you can, make sure you come back here. Because this thing about the coals, the hot coals, is the truth. When you're in this church, man, it's hot. The Holy Spirit's here. We're loving on each other, singing these praise songs. We're, we're heated up. But you, you get away from this. I don't care what your intentions are. I don't care if you're watching this morning on the Facebook thing. I gave into that too. I I don't care if you're having church in a hotel room because you've got uh, a basketball tournament. All that's good. I'm just saying, when you're out by yourself, you're still going to cool off, no matter what the reason is. So as often as you can, come back in here and get heated up. And we're in days where if you're going to stay courageous and bold and do what you've got to do, you've got to do that. Does that sound like a compromise? I'll shut up about it. You get in here as often as you can. And secondly, in the meantime, you be courageous. You stand in the stream even though the water's coming at you. You stand in the storm even though it's tough. Our example is Jesus Christ. Broke his body and shed our blood for the mission of saving us. So you come up this morning courageously and get on your knees and be honest about what you're broken. Be honest about the places where you're kind of being cowardly, and ask Him to fill you up. And by all means, if you're not a Christian, if you're not accepted Jesus Christ, you come talk to me. I'm sitting right here. And if you don't want to come up front, you find Jake or Bob's back there. There's Eric. There's Double D Senior. Come see me afterwards. Don't leave here without salvation.